afternoon or good morning, everyone. Glad to, to be back with you. Uh, my name's Andy Hines. I'm here to, uh, we're talking about a uh, book by Dr. Richards, Taking the Limits Off of God. And it's part of our, uh, it's the beginning of our teaching, uh, kind of a series on how to thrive in Babylon under the changing uh, Christian environment. Uh, we're talking about how to survive under Babylon. Um, last week, <coughs> we talked about uh, help my unbelief, <coughs> excuse me, and there were a couple of points that came up last week that I felt like I needed to, to, to go back over. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last week was, was healing, and um, uh, I mentioned the fact, uh, we talked about uh, Mark 9, when uh, the young man's was thrown into the fire, and his dad said he took him to the disciples, and they couldn't fix him, couldn't heal him. So uh, he said, why not? And Jesus said, oh, you unbelieving generation. Then, of course, the young man was healed, and as we proceeded, uh, later on the disciples said, why couldn't we heal him? Jesus made the statement, this time comes out only by fasting and prayer, this kind of unbelief is what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the demon. He'd already given them authority over the demon, but he's talking about unbelief. And I, and I made the comment, um, I've had other people tell me, and, and I've walked through this myself, where people were healed, uh, people came for healing, they didn't get healed, and they were told their faith wasn't strong enough. And, um, and that causes a lot of problems. Now, I think you've got a good biblical case for saying faith is certainly a part of the, of the solution. Jesus said that. He talked to the woman at the well, or not, not the woman at the well, but the, Jairus' daughter, um, the, the woman that interrupted him with the issue of blood. And he said, Daughter, thy faith has made you well. And he, he's, he's spoken about that several times. But I think the thing that I wanted to make a point was that there are other factors that are involved just besides healing. I made the comment, I don't think it's wrong to tell somebody your faith isn't as strong as it needs to be. Jesus did. He he mentioned three kinds of faith. Uh, oh, oh, you little faith. You had no faith. And then you had great faith. So there's clearly different levels of faith. And as you're working on this, our faith muscles must increase. Um, it's, not, it's not acceptable to pray for someone. They don't get healed and you dump all the responsibility on them and say, well, your faith wasn't strong enough. Uh, there's a million other factors that go into it, and so I don't want to I don't want to belabor that and go into it. But I just want to make sure I'm not telling anyone when I pray for them or you pray for them and they don't get healed that their faith wasn't strong enough. It may not have been, but there may be other things involved in it, and that's why we go to the Lord and talk to Him about that. So I just want I just kind of wanted to clear that up a little bit uh, before we go on. Now I'm going to talk in chapter eight about removing unbiblical stipulations. Now remember, what we're trying to do is, is understand the foundation that we need as believers so that we can operate correctly in a postmodern society where Christianity has very little, if any, influence in certain areas. Um, I was listening to Dutch Sheets today, and I, he, he brought the point together about a group in, in um, Texas that was denied their 503c3 503c3 
tax-exempt status because they were a Christian group. And it came a letter, it was an official letter from the IRS. So we live in an environment where we need to know how to, how to respond to this stuff. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is about removing unbiblical stipulations from our prayers. Um, the, the author makes a great point here. And when he goes in, he talks about in Matthew 9, uh, where the woman with the issue of blood said, if I touch his garment, uh, I'll be healed. Uh, she had a point of contact. And she believed that if I can just get close to, his, to him and touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. Um, but I'm not sure he makes the statement that... Uh, Perhaps she's focusing on the garment and not necessarily on what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing. And it could set up a situation where you're in a position where I've got to have the garment. Now, if Jesus takes his garment off, I don't know what that means. Would she go over here to this garment to pray to, to be prayed for over here? Uh, would she go to... I, I don't know. But I just know that we want to be careful about setting up conditions that have to happen before we get prayed for. Um, I heard many times uh, uh, back in the 80s, uh, in the late 70s and the 80s, when my wife and I got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, we both found out that there's a lot of times God heals people and there's no faith involved in anything. The guy's just standing there. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in anything. And bam, God heals him. Uh, go look up some old Catherine Kuhlman's. Uh, old shows. A lot of people got healed and they were just, you know, a guy, a drunk walking through the hallway in the place where she was praying and he gets healed. So we cannot set stipulations on God to get healed uh, and, and, and His promises. Now, um, if you go look, uh, I, well, the one thing I hear I want to say is, is that there, let me go back here to this. We want to make sure we don't place unbiblical stipulations on people. And we want to go and look at um, Galatians 3.13. So I'm going to turn in the, in the Scriptures. I'm going to go to Galatians 3.13. And there's a number of Scriptures right there in chapter 3. But let's look at Galatians 3.13. It said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, clearly faith is, is important here. And we're going to look at some other things about how do we develop faith, how, how it grows. We're going to check on that in a minute. But the point here is when Christ redeemed us, it wasn't just so we could go to he heaven and not hell. Unfortunately, when I got saved, that's what I was told. Um, you know, it was a Turner Burn sermon. Um, fire insurance is what it ended up trying to be. You know, I made the commitment because I, I was in a place that was really hot. It was during July of 1968, and it was just a difficult time. And when I, when this guy began to speak, and he spoke about uh, salvation, he spoke about it in terms of if you don't turn, you're going to burn. And I, you know, I, I understood that part. Negative reinforcement had an impact on my life then. So I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I had known nothing about God's love or anything else. I just knew I didn't want to go there when I died. 
So, having said that, I go to this scripture and I find out I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. We go to Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 25. It explains in great detail what the curse of the law was. Uh, the first 14 verses, I believe, in, in Deuteronomy 28 are the blessings of the law. And then from verse 15 all the way down to the end, verse 64, 65, and that is the curse of the law. Every disease you can think of, all these things are in there. And what Paul's telling us here is we were redeemed from that curse. It means we don't have to put up with it. Now, uh, having said that, we want to go back and look at uh, Romans 8.2. We're talking about unbiblical stipulations that we put on prayer. We go back and look at Romans 8.2. As I turn my new Bible here. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, we're talking about foundations, remember? Um, it's interesting, and I'll, I'll, I'll read some stuff here in a little bit from, the, from George Barn and the Christian uh, Research Institute in Arizona. Some statistics that are frightening uh, about the church and about, about believers. But one of the things we have to understand is that what God says in His Word is true, whether we feel like it or not. And He says right here, we're redeemed by the curse of the law, or pardon me, we're redeemed from the curse of the law, and for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, you got the law of gravity, and you got the law of lift. The, the law of gravity works all the time until you apply a greater law, the law of lift, and then you can fly planes around. Um, I'm not an aeronautics engineer, but I do know that there are forces that work on an airplane that allow it to fly in the air. Now, once those forces stop, then gravity becomes a superior law. But right here we're talking about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death has been superseded by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He's given us zoe, as we spoke before. Zoe being the life that makes God lot. God makes God God. Pardon me. Zoe is the life that makes God God. Okay, that's his life. Now, Part of what we have to do is we have to understand in order to operate in the world and have an impact on society, um, we have to look different than they do and we have to act different than they do. We have to look like Jesus and we have to act like Jesus. So part of that is understanding exactly what has happened to us. We don't have to be dominated by the law of sin and death. We just don't have to do that. This is clear in the Word, it's clear in the Scriptures, and it's clear that if we operate on these scriptural principles, we don't have to be dominated by the enemy. Now, having said that, why are so many people dominated by the enemy? Well, they're not spending a lot of time in the Word for one thing. You cannot get to where you need to be to be able to operate in a post-Christian environment by getting a little devotional and reading a one-paragraph feel-good thing and then read one scripture and a one-line prayer and check that off and say, I've done my religious duty for the day. That won't fly. That's what's ha that We've got too many people that do that now 
And when they're asked tough questions or when they're put in difficult situations, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. So what we need to do is understand exactly what the Scriptures are saying about this. We are redeemed from the law of sin and death, and we've been redeemed from the curse. It's your responsibility to go back to Deuteronomy 28 and find out about what it is that you've been redeemed from. Now, you've been redeemed too. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The same process transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Under those circumstances, it's important for you to walk as though those things are true. Now, this is, this is a part of what we're going to be studying over, over time. But again, I want to keep our focus on things. We're trying to learn a foundation about how we operate as believers in a post-environment, post-Christian environment. How do we operate in a way that brings God uh, glory and we get done what it is He's asked us to do? So, uh, let's go to first, 2 Corinthians 1.20. talks about the promises of God and... I don't have an NIV, but I wanted to read to you. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God's made, they're all yes in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the promises that God gives us in the Scriptures are ours. Um, If you look at... uh, Go back to, to, actually, go back to Galatians real quick and look at at Galatians chapter 3. And I think you'll see yeah, the end of it. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 18. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. If you don't know what that promise is, it won't do you any good. This is the, my, one of my favorite stories. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I heard this, and, it, and man, did it ever click about the, the guy that, that uh, back in the early 1900s took a boat from Dublin over to the United States, and he paid for his ticket, and he had a box of crackers and all that stuff, and He's eating cheese and crackers all the way over the week, nine-day run that it took to get to the United States from there in that particular boat. And um, just before they landed, uh, the the steward came to him and said, you know, did we do something that offended you? Because he said, we noticed you never ate with us. And he said, no, no. He said, I didn't have enough money for the food. So, you know, I brought my own. And the steward told him, he said, well, sir, the food was included as part of the ticket. But he didn't know it. It didn't benefit him anything. He had to eat cheese and crackers all the way across. Um, same thing, uh, the story of the woman uh, who served the queen. I think this was in the late 1800s, served the queen. And uh, she was illiterate. And, and when her when her time to retire came, the queen gave her a plaque and everything. And she hung the plaque in her room. And she's dying. She's She's lost everything. She's in complete poverty. And they finally talk a doctor to go see her. The doctor goes in and sees this document on the wall and finds out that it was a stipend from the queen for that she would be taken care of for the rest of her life. And no matter what it was, she didn't have to worry about anything. Everything in her life was paid for, but she didn't know it because she, didn't, she couldn't read the will. Now, those are great stories, but the point is, is true. 
we have a document that's much more powerful than the than the ticket from Dublin to the United States, and certainly have a document that is more powerful than the Queen. And um, but we don't know what it's in. And it doesn't do us any good. Um, I don't know how many Bibles there are in the United States. Um, I had a friend of mine that died not too long ago, and he always told me, he said, Andy, there's going to be coming a day when there'll be a, a famine of the Word of God. Um, and I think he's right, but there's not a famine of Bibles. You go into any home, you find all kinds of Bibles. How many translations do you want? There's no reason not to find one that you cannot pour yourself into and let God minister to you through it. But anyway, if we don't know what's in the promises, they don't do us any good. Now, Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans 10, 17 should be clear to everyone. That but Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, not begging God. It doesn't say faith comes by begging God for more faith. It doesn't say faith comes by crying about it or wailing about it. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you don't spend time, if this isn't your priority, you know, if, if you don't spend time, if soccer practice and, and other things, which those things are okay, but if they interfere with your time in the Lord and your time in the, in the Scriptures, then, um, you know, I guess if... if you need a promise from God to be fulfilled and you don't know what it is, you might as well go to the Premier League in, uh, in uh, the UK and see if they can help you because they have as much chance of helping you as anybody else if you don't know the Word. Now, um, proceeding from that, you're only able to operate on the amount of, in faith in the amount of Word that you have in your, in your heart. If you can't, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit said He'd speak to you. He'll show you things that are to come. He'll do all of these things. But if you don't have anything for Him to work with, He cannot help you. That's the bottom line. He simply cannot help you. Now, um, this is an interesting point. God is waiting for us. In fact, let me read this as, I, as I've got this written down. God is waiting for us to make a decision and we must assume responsibility for what we believe. Now listen to this. God is waiting for us to make a decision. We must assume responsibility for what we believe. The promises of God must be accepted without adding unbiblical stipulations. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is from a survey from George Barna. And, um, uh, and his questions are such... That I, and I'm, I, I, I'm working on trying to find the questions, but he's got a series of questions that he uses to identify if someone has a biblical worldview. In the process of doing that, in his Gallup polling, or in the polling that he's done all over the country, he's found out, and he's got the numbers, that only 6% of the American people have a biblical worldview. Now, I think that works out to one out of, one out of six believers, one out of five, somewhere in that area. I, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there's somewhere in that area where those things, one out of six believers have a biblical worldview. I want you to listen to that. You go to a church 
and, and you got 600 people in there, uh, that means 100 of them have a biblical worldview, theoretically. But I want you to listen to what, of those people that have a, a, a biblical worldview, listen to this. The people that have a biblical worldview that fit into that, go, listen to some of the other things that they believe in. 33% of people with a biblical worldview have, believe in karma. Okay? 42% say having some faith matters more than which faith. Okay? These are people that have a so-called biblical worldview. Now listen to this. These are people sitting in church. You go down to the belief that basically people are good. 52% of those with a biblical view worldview have that belief. Go down to a uh, person's wealth is used to achieve outcomes other than advancing God's purposes. 20% of people believe that, that money, that, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. They didn't read it, uh, what uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 says, that just don't forget that it was the, we're the, that it was the Lord that gave you the power to, uh, to obtain wealth to do what He wanted to do. Um, and so this is why we're doing what we're doing is trying to help people to establish what it is that they believe and understand what the Scriptures teach about it. Um, we are building a foundation that is sure and built on the promises of God and fully based on and established in the Word. We did not, pardon me, without this foundation, we will be completely ineffective in Babylon. I want to say that again because I think this is really critical. We are building a foundation that is a sure one. We build it on the promises of God and it is fully based and established in the Word. Without this foundation, we will be completely ineffective in Babylon. We won't be able to have any impact on the world at all. We'll just get steamrolled uh, with the things that the, that the government and, and the people that don't believe in God and hate God are trying to do. Um, we must look more like Jesus than Babylon, especially in our responses to the evil we see coming from the government. Now, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not a. Uh, I, I'm not sitting here saying all oh, the you know the government's evil. You got to do this, that, and the other. But I'm just sitting there saying, look, what the government's trying to do right now, and the people that are running the government in the United States right now are anti-Christian. Let's just. I mean. You, whether you like it or not, and it isn't a Republican or a Democrat thing, it is simply uh, telling you the truth. When you're being ruled by people that can't tell a little boy from a little girl, then, then, then we're all in deep trouble. And uh, this is why the Scriptures are so important to us that we have them as a foundation. Um, uh, the other day, I read this, and this guy walked through this. And turn real quick. We'll we'll close with this in in Psalm 42. Not not Psalm 42, Psalm 2. And um, he brought this point up, and I thought it was great. Talking about the end times. Now, whenever I've heard anybody talk about the end times, it's about being raptured. It's about being. Um, uh, you know, taken up to heaven and left all whatever it was the great late planet Earth, Hal Lindsey and other people had written about it. That was kind of you know what my end times 
beliefs were. But he, as he goes through Psalm chapter 2, he says some things that are really interesting. I want to read this to you. In fact, it was Mike Bickle that said this. Um, he talked about chapter uh, 2, Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations restless and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and their rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let's tear their shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. And he's talking about... Um, Our point in dealing with people that think the Word of God is shackles. They think that's bondage. They want to break apart the bondage. That's why we're getting all this stuff as, as unbelievable as it is uh, with the, the allowing men in the women's restrooms and all the other crazy things that are going on. Uh, right now, the one vote, uh, one of the two major bills that were in Congress, H.R. 1 and H.R. 5, I think H.R. 1, uh, about the election laws and everything went crashing in flames yesterday. That's a good thing. Now, uh, but the point is, is that you have people that they're this close. The razor's close to having passed laws that make things that used to be you wouldn't even have any dream about them being legal. No, they're very close to becoming legal. And if those things happen, then a lot of the things that the church does will become illegal. Now, if we don't know how to, if we don't know how to deal with that, if we don't know how to operate with what the scriptures say in that, if we don't know what the word says about that, if you can't pray and get a hold of God and work through that, then in this situation you're not going to be very effective at all. You're not going to be very effective at all. Um, and then my pastor's quick to point out in verse four, though, says the Lord laughs at them. Well, he may be laughing at them, but we still have to live and, and operate successfully in this environment. Now, um, one of the other points that I think is very important here, what we do has an impact on the world around us. We know that. Um, and so what I want us to try to do is I want us to be thinking about how can we as believers have such an impact on people? Uh, we can go back to Mark chapter 1 through 3 and understand what Jesus said there. As he went along, people just followed him by crowds because of the things that he was doing. How do we put ourselves in a position where we can actually believe God to do the things that he said we could do? Um, one last scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. And listen to this real quick. This is what this is. These are our marching orders. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 10. Jesus summoned the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. That's what he said. Then they slam into the deal with this little boy and and, um, and man, he's thrown in the fire. And I went to your disciples and they couldn't cast him out. Why not? Jesus said because of unbelief. You go back and look at, at Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus himself said he could do no works there because of their unbelief. He didn't say that he didn't want to, that he wouldn't. He said he couldn't because of their unbelief. So, from that point, if you go to chapter 10, verse 1, you go down to verse 7. He said, as you go, 
preached, saying, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those from, with leprosy, cast out demons. Freely you have given, freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money bags. Trust God for what it is that you need. Do we have the courage to do that? That because when we do that, somebody starts coming into the church, and they're they're maybe from a weird crowd. They may be not look like us. Or maybe maybe it's a homeless guy. Maybe it's a it's a gay activist. I don't know what it is, but the guy comes in, and you look at him, and you're prepared because you understand the word. You're following what the word says. You're doing these things. Romans ten seventeen. You've been building your faith up on that. You find out the gifts of the spirits become the gifts of the spirit become an operation, and you get a picture of someone laying in a bed or in a wheelchair or someone that's really sick, and you ask this person, "Let me just ask you: Is there somebody sick in your family?" Oh, yeah, my my mom's really sick. Is she the one that's in the in the hospital? But yeah, I think the Lord wants us to pray for her. Then you pray for her. And you trust. You don't say anything about the guy. You don't care what he looks like or anything else. You just pray for him. And when you do that, the guy comes back and he goes, "Man, mom got healed." Well, he's going to go get other people and start bringing them. He's going to do the exact same thing that happened in Mark one through three. These things happen. People follow along. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and uh, and uh, let's trust the Lord to, to pull this all together for us. And Father. We thank you for today. We ask you, Father, that you would give us courage and strength and help us to walk in this path so that we can do the things that you said we could do. We can accomplish the things that you sent us to do. and We can learn how to love other people the way you do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. See you all later. Eu quero ser um testemunho, remove o erro.